around the world, there's other, um, many other groups all meeting together, and it's, uh, it's like a fragrant uh, aroma to the Lord to, to have us all worshiping collectively. So uh, uh, I read the end of the book, We Win, and uh, one day we'll all be uh, together with Christ in heaven, and it's, it's going to be great. Uh, this morning I want to talk, I want to tell a couple stories, a car story, a boat story, and then I want to talk about um, some kingdom stuff uh, in between. But first, the car story. It's about a young man uh, in his early 20s named Roy. And Roy lived in, uh, in Nevada, and he was, uh, he was in California, and he was coming home. And he was driving through the Sierra Mountains, and he had a 1972 Maverick. Anybody own a Maverick here? Yeah? All right. Okay. It was, um, the actual name of the color was Anti-Established Mint. And you can, you can look that up because it is, it is a 70s color. And Ford actually made that Anti-Established Mint. So you can get a, sort of an idea what the color was. And when, when Ford brought it out, they were, they were saying it was going to be the next Mustang or whatever, but it soon became evident that was, it was sort of a, a really sucky Mustang or one that never really got any traction. And it soon became a car that, you know, grandmas drove or moms drove or whatever. And, and the one that Roy had, had indeed been passed down to him from his grandma. And he had a couple hundred thousand miles, not Ks, on the clock. Uh, it was rusted around the wheel wells like they often went. And it was about a 50-50 chance when he hit, it, hit the, the key if it would start or not. And if it didn't, it meant um, tapping the starter uh, with a wrench or a hammer or wiggling wires or, or somehow shaking things in order to get it start, started. So he had it going, and, and he was coming through the mountains, and he was, he was feeling pretty good. It was uh, the end of the weekend. And as he got to the, the crest of the, the hills ready to, to come down into um, to Vegas, uh, there was some expensive-sounding noises and grinding and then steam pouring out of the hood. And he slid it into neutral, and he coasted as far as he could until it came to death on the side of the road. He could see some lights up in the, in the horizon. And so he got out his pack and he walked up to the lights. And it was a, a car dealership, a big GM car dealership. And he didn't have any money. And he knew trade-in was hopeless. But he thought he would go in and phone his buddies to see if they'd come and pick him up. And so he went in and a uh, salesman with white shoes and a plaid jacket uh, came up and pumped his hand and, and he said, no, 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 I, I'm just here to, to use your phone. And he said, well, where's your, <clears throat> where's your car? And he said, well, yeah, it's, it's down there. That's, that's it, way down on the, on the side of the road. And the salesman said, it is your lucky day. He said, there's been a very wealthy man in the neighborhood who is, is open to giving free cars to whoever needs them. Guy says, yeah, no, you know, I, I don't think so. And he goes, no, I'm serious. He said, if you could pick your dream car any year, 
any model, what would you, what would you go with? And he thought for a while and he said, 1959 Cadillac convertible. The big fins, those double bullet lights on the back. And the salesman said, what color would you like that in? And he said, oh, black. And the salesman said, well, we'll come right this way. And they went through the showroom and out to the back. And in the middle of this warehouse was a 59 Cadillac with the top down with those big fins. And he could not believe it. And the salesman said, I just need you to fill out a couple of forms here for your insurance. And here's the keys. And Roy kept saying, but I, they, they, I don't, but and the guy and the salesman says, no, no, no. He said, we've been, we've been doing it for a while now. He said, there's all kinds of them out there. You'll see them driving around. Uh, <clears throat> and now you're, you're one of us. So Roy filled out the paperwork, and, and the salesman gave him the keys, and he was still so bewildered, and he, he couldn't believe that this was happening to him. And so he drove out past the Maverick and kept right on going. He, he turned around, he went back into town, he drove around to his buddy's place and, and hit that old horn, and there's about four tones on the horn of a, of a Cadillac. And they came out, and, and he's shown them this car, and no one can believe it. And he, day after day, he goes to work, and, and he, he shows the guys at work his new car. He drives around every chance he get, gets. He goes back to the dealership just to thank the guy. And the salesman said, well, there's a, there's a group of us that get together on Thursday nights and we talk about our cars. And he said, oh, I'm so in. So Thursday night he would go there and, and they would um, all park in the parking lot and they would gather and, and uh, the newcomer would talk about the old beater that he had and now the new car he had and how happy he was. And they would have meals in the parking lot and and it was a happy group of people. And sometimes they would go for a ride where they would all, um, like in a, in a convoy, would, would tour around. This, this big parade of cars. Roy told some friends at work repeatedly about this offer of this new car. And a couple of them looked interested and, and one or two of them would drift in and, and would, would come out with a car. And then they would kind of drift away from the, from the group. So one day, Roy was uh, cruising around, and uh, he thought, you know, I'm just going to swing by the dealership and, and see if there's anybody new. And so he, he drove, and there was some road construction that, that took him around. Instead of going in the front, it was around the back. And as he, as he came down the, the service road, there was a whole bunch of dumpsters, and then there were a few cars, and he saw his old Maverick sitting there beside the dumpsters. And there was a bunch of junk shoved inside and, and some stuff piled on top. And he thought, man, they're, they're, just, they're just trashing my old Maverick. And he got out and he looked in the window and he got kind of nostalgic and, and he thought, man, it, I've had so many good times in this car. It, it, it seems a, a waste just to let it get crushed. So he uh, phoned his buddies. He went home and had them pick him up and, and they had a big 4x4. Four four. And they came over to the Maverick and they, and they unloaded all the junk out of it and dragged it out and 
course, it wouldn't start, and, and the motor, there was a rad hose blowing, and there was, you know, antifreeze everywhere. And, and he took it home, and he, uh, he thought, in my free time, I'll just kind of fix it up again. So he was driving his Cadillac by day, and at night he was in the garage tinkering around with, with his Maverick. As days went by, he got the thing fired up again. And he would drive it over to his buddy's place, and they all used to work on their cars on the weekends, and that was their thing, was to, to work on cars. And now he was back in again. And he didn't talk a whole lot about the Cadillac anymore. In fact, he pulled it out of the garage and, and had it parked in the, the lean-to beside the garage, and he had the Maverick back in the garage again because that's where he could work on it. He um, got a big tarp and threw it over the roof because the, the convertible uh, had to be protected from the weather. The end of the season came and he had the little kitty turtle pool that somehow got thrown upside down on top of the car as well just to get it off the ground. He unloaded some plywood from the truck and had it leaning up against the front of the Cadillac and as cars go, once they're stored, they end up getting covered up. The odd time he would dig it out and go for a Thursday night ride, talk to his friends in the, in the parking lot about how great his car was, but he's pretty much using the, the Maverick full time. As time went by, he didn't bother renewing the plates on the Cadillac. And more and more stuff got stacked and, and piled against it. And in the end, yeah, he didn't talk about his Cadillac much at all. And he pretty much rebuilt the Maverick. And even though it was old, it still got him around. And that's what he felt the most comfortable with. You all know where I'm going with this. When we're, when we're new in our faith, everything is great. We're excited about it. It's new. We can't believe how great it was that God gave us a new life. He invited us into his family to be part of him. And then as we start living that out, it doesn't always go the way that we want it to. And sometimes it's just easier to slide back into the familiar and to go with the old Maverick, even though you know it's got lots of problems and it's not near as smooth as the Cadillac. It's familiar. And it's where your friends are. And it's something that feels quite comfortable to be in. I want to talk about uh, the kingdom of heaven. And all through uh, the Gospels, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and often they're in interchangeable. I don't even know the difference between the two. But <clears throat> in, especially in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, that's his primary focus, is the kingdom of heaven. 
when, um, when John the Baptist sees Jesus um, coming, he says, um, behold, the kingdom of God is coming. And a couple chapters later, Jesus says to his disciples, go out into the villages and tell them the kingdom of God is near. And then a few chapters after that, he's talking with some, some Pharisees and some, some church leaders. And he says, the kingdom of God is near. It's in your midst. And what did he really mean? Uh, the disciples said, uh, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to pray. Oh, thank you, Tom. So the Lord told the disciples, this is how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying that things can happen here on earth the same as in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if you, if you picture a parallel universe, there's, there's the timeline of eternity of, of earth, of man down here, and parallel to it is eternity that goes on forever. And Jesus is saying what's happening up here can play out in your life down here at the same time. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says uh, before that, thy kingdom come. That means Jesus' kingdom is coming. But what that also implies is my kingdom goes. In order for Jesus' kingdom to come, I got to let go of mine. If I'm going to drive the Cadillac, I got to let go of the Maverick. I got to let go of the things that are comfortable and familiar if I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. And that's scary. There's times when um, things go well, when it's quite easy to go with the kingdom of God. But there's other times that are really awkward and that are really hard. Jesus gave some really hard teaching one day about, um, you know, if, if you want to be part of me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood and, and be part of who I am. And it, it scared people away. And it said, most of the disciples left. He's got this crowd of people and he's talking and he gives us teaching and they all leave. And he turns to the 12 and says, what about you guys? Are you leaving too? And they said, yeah, we got nowhere else to go. You, you are the, the living bread. And in our, in our day and age, if, if I was speaking and, and I said some hard words and three quarters of you got up to leave, I'd go, whoa, 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 I didn't quite mean that, and let's have a couple choruses and we'll soften it up a bit and I'll... I'll try to smooth over the teaching a bit. Jesus gave the hard teaching. And he even says, oh, did that offend you? But he didn't go back and smooth it over. 
He said, this is truth. And sometimes truth hurts. And sometimes truth cuts deep. But if you are my follower, then this is what's expected. This is all part of the package. There's a, um, a great description of, of the kingdom of heaven. It says, the kingdom of heaven is a process. It's a course of events whereby God begins to govern or act as king or lord. It's a series of events, a course of events, where God starts working in you to act like he is your king and lord. And what does that look like? It's, it's really easy to say, Jesus is my savior. He saved me, right? He, he died on the cross on my behalf. I can now spend eternity with him because I invited him to live in me. That's, that's the savior part. But to be Lord and master means I show up every morning as a slave saying to Jesus, what have you got for me today? And a great way of looking at where you are in the continuum is, is to look at your prayer life. If your prayer life is made up of, Lord, I need you to heal me from this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, and this needs to happen, and this needs to happen, and I need this, and I need it quick. You're still working with your kingdom. You're saying, Lord, I want you like the genie in a bottle. I want you to do for me what I say to do. And if you're working on the other side, where Jesus is Lord and Master, you are showing up and saying, Lord, what would you have me do today? What would you have me to do with this relationship? What would you have me do with this really awkward situation at work? What would you have me to do with these neighbors that we're always at odds with? How do I respond as a, as a businessman with integrity in dealing with this. And that's scarier than, Lord, here's what I want you to do. Instead of writing out a list of stuff for the Lord to do, you hand the Lord a blank piece of paper and say, why don't you fill this out so I know how to live my life? And it's not just with what we do with each day, it's what we do with a life. A life is made up of individual days. And at any given time, during any given day, we are either driving the Cadillac or the Maverick. Whether we're following the kingdom of God or whether we're serving our own kingdom. Is this making sense? Yeah? <clears throat> When we say, my kingdom come, we imply, thy, or thy kingdom come, we imply, my kingdom goes. And so what are the values then that I have in my kingdom? And my kingdom meaning the kingdom of man. And the values that I see playing out are the primary value is comfort and ease. I want to be comfortable. I want to take the path of least resistance. 
I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be stressed out. I want things as comfortable as I can. And I want to be able to look after things myself. I don't, need, I don't want to have to go to anybody and ask for help. That's wimpy. I got to tough it out. I got to figure this out myself. We want security and safety. We don't want to go anywhere that puts us at risk. We want our backs covered. We want everything safe so that there's nothing scary at all. A friend of mine um, in the 80s was kidnapped in Beirut. He was there as a missionary. Gunman burst into his house, took him away, bag over his head, left a wife and, and two young children behind, threw him in the undercarriage of a van, drove for miles, um, took him out, beat him up, uh, kept him handcuffed with his thing over his head for a few days. Uh, his wife had no idea whether she'd see him again. Um, the organization he was with was praying for him. Um, days later, they released him. No idea why. Didn't know who they were. They weren't police. There was no uniforms. And um, he went back to his apartment and kept doing what he had been doing which was helping people after their buildings had been bombed and shelled find food and shelter and more housing. And I had coffee with him a year or two later and I said, why didn't, why didn't you come home? And he said, well, God called me to Beirut. And because of a bit of uncomfortableness, my calling wasn't revoked. I had to stay there. And I said, was it safe? And he said, it's a whole lot safer being in the middle of God's will in the middle of Beirut than it is outside of God's will in the middle of Toronto. So he said, wherever God calls you to be, that's your safest spot. Another value that we put a lot of weight on is health and perpetual youth. That's really important, that we look young, or that we look slender, or whatever. And, and that's a, a huge value that our culture puts on us. Another value is material blessing. If I'm going to be somebody, I need lots of stuff. If, God, if I want to know God's blessing in my life, I need, I need lots of stuff in my whole life is made up chasing more and more stuff. Apostle Paul had nothing. And he was probably one of the smartest, most spiritual people ever alive. We can't take it with us anyway. It all comes down to what you can put in that little drawer in the bedside table at the hospital, and even that you can't take with you. Another value that we hold dear to us is recognition. Am I getting enough strokes for what I'm doing? Are people patting me on the back? Good job, man. Oh, great job. Oh, you did really well. Oh, here's a participation trophy that was so special what you did there. And we want to be acknowledged. We, we want to be recognized. We want, we want power in, in our positions. Those are all values that, that we scramble after. And 
Yet when you look at the kingdom of God, they're completely the other way around. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We all want to be rich in spirit. He said, blessed are the meek. Well, who wants to be meek? We want to be bold. Blessed are the poor. Well, who want poverty sucks. Who wants to be poor? And so all and blessed are those who, who are persecuted. Well, we don't want to be persecuted. Like the, the stuff the stuff that the kingdom calls us into is completely upside upside down from what the world calls us to. When we're dealing with the kingdom of God, truth is a huge value. Not consensus, but actual gospel truth. Peace is something that the kingdom offers. And that could be peace in the middle of Beirut while bombs are falling. But if you have the peace inside that God has called you and has put you in whatever situation you're in, you don't have to lie awake nights thinking, what if? What if things get really ugly? What if we're overtaken by Russia? What if there's a, an MTV that, that blows up in the air or an EMT, whatever it is, that knocks out the power grid? All these things, that, what if the, the sea level rises 10 feet and, and floats us away? What, all these things that, that we're constantly bombarded with to be fearful of, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. I'm giving you peace, and that's peace in the, in the kingdom of God. Another value in the kingdom is serving others in the midst of a self-serving society. Jesus says, serve others. Sacrificially give to others. That's a kingdom value. It's hard. It's hard to, to not look at everything you get as, ooh, good, I'll just feather my nest more and more and more when Jesus is saying, sacrificially give, give generously. Let, people, let, let yourself be known as someone who generously gives without expecting anything in return. That's a kingdom value. Another one is joy. How many joyous people do you know? How many people can you think of and think, man, that woman is just always so happy that guy is just always so laid back and, and just joyful. Even though their life might be in shambles by the way the world looks at it, they're still completely relaxed and joyous. You don't see it. <clears throat> you don't see it much at all. I wanted to touch, too, on the difference between... Um, salvation and then sanctification like like moving on like people people will say that they've had an experience with God they've invited him into their life and then that's sort of as far as it goes with the whole commitment level where they think that just praying a one-time prayer is somehow enough to launch them into eternity without having to walk out what it means to be a disciple 
And I'm not saying that there's, there's works attached to faith. If you believe in Christ, yes, you are a child of God. But I'm looking at the aftermath of that. What does it mean to, to follow through and to drive the Cadillac right through? And I think the best, the best analogy is, is to look at a, a wedding and a marriage. The wedding lasts, what, a couple hours? Wedding, reception, honeymoon. And you're married. But a marriage can last 40, 50, 60 years. And in that marriage, there's, this, this, there's a constant um, relationship together with your partner that grows closer and closer as you get to know each other better and better, that, that <clears throat> it flourishes as a marriage. And that's the same with becoming a Christian. When you invite Christ into your life, you're saying, Christ, I welcome you as my husband, and the church is the bride, and for the, the duration of my life on earth, I will live in a marriage with Christ. Now, if a, if a couple got married and uh, went through the wedding and uh, the, the honeymoon, and then they got back home and the husband says, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to hang out with a couple of the guys. You know, old girlfriend's back in town. I might go and see her for a bit. And um, maybe we'll catch up in a couple of weeks. And then you text and say, you know, gosh, <laughs> A bunch of us decided to go uh, out to the coast for a few days and, you know, we'll be in touch. And you just go right back to living your old life and people can say, are you married? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm married. Where's your wife? Oh, she's in Saskatoon. But uh, we're still married. Still married. Got the ring, right? Now, it's, it's ludicrous to think of that in terms of marriage. But when you look at what happens in reality, your commitment to Christ is often left at the wedding. And this whole kingdom of God is bringing the marriage into play, bringing the values of heaven down into how we flesh out today. Does that make sense? I'll tell you the boating story. A guy named um, Cortez, explorer, um, I don't know if it was a 14 or 15th century. Uh, again, I've read a bunch of different reports of this, and depending on who writes the story, it, it differs. But this is the gist of it. He was from Spain, and he, was, uh, he sailed across, and he was in the Caribbean, and he was at Cuba, and he had uh, a bunch of guys. He had about 1,000 men with him in Cuba, had three ships, and he was a Catholic. And the Catholic Church said South America was dominated by the Incas. And the Incas were a really um, brutal tribe, a brutal culture, where they would go around and they would raid um, smaller cultures, and they would take their young men and women as slaves, and they would take the kids as sacrifices to their gods and they would actually you know kill them and with a beating heart and whatever lay them on the altar it just it was brutal and so they but they wouldn't completely wipe out these little tribes they would leave a a small remnant of them there 
so that in 10 or 15 years, they could come back and do the same thing again. So sort of like little breeding farms all over the country. And they would just go around raiding these different people, um, stealing them as slaves and sacrificing. And, and so Cortez, on behalf of the Catholic Church, said, enough. We're going over there to lay a licking on the Incas. And so they sailed to the north end of, of Brazil and they anchored in a little bay, and he got all his guys ashore, and, and they got all their gear and everything, and, and, and Cortez lined them up facing the jungle, and he gave them a talk and said, we are on a several hundred mile walk. We're going to conquer as we go, and we're going to get to the capital, and we're going to take it over for God and for the Catholic Church. And he he said, I'm, we're going to leave within the hour. And then he scooted back to the beach and went out to the ships and set them on fire and burnt his ships to the waterline. And then he went back and he said to the guys, now we're ready to go. And he knew that if they marched with the ships in the harbor, as soon as they hit any hardships, the guys in the back would head back for the beach and sail for home. But he said, now, there's no plan B. We're committed. We will conquer or we will die trying. And I think as, as believers, that should be our motto. We're not going back to the maverick. We are going to conquer or we are going to die trying. Does that make sense? Karen and I had a uh, mentor in New Zealand. His name is Tony Hahn, and he was the director of our Bible school back in the uh, late 70s. And a month ago, right now, uh, we went to New Zealand, and we knocked on his door at noon on a Sunday, and an 82-year-old man answered. And uh, we spent a few hours with he and his wife reminiscing. And when I was, um, when I was, I had a tutorial, which was like a one-on-one -on -one with him for the year that I was there. And we were talking about prayer. And he said, um, if you want to pray a very practical prayer, he said, set your keys and your checkbook on the desk beside your Bible. And today I would add your cell phone. And as you pray, say, God, these are the resources you've entrusted to me. My checkbook represents my finances. Who needs, who needs help today? Am I using my resources the way that you would have me to use them? Here's my keys. Does anybody need my car today or, or my house or my business? Whatever I have locked, are there people that you want me to give these keys to unlock today. And then with the cell phone, how would you have me use this today to honor you? Who should I call? Who needs a text? Am I really watching all the stuff on here that honors you? Or should I be doing something different? 
Those are honest prayers if you want to pull the kingdom down into to where you live. That is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, you know exactly what we're driving. And you know our heart and our, and our desire to want to serve you and to live in your kingdom. Father, may we be open to what you have for us. May we be willing to lay our kingdom aside and to invite your kingdom in. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.